Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, again, good to be with you guys this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. It's nice and cozy in here today, you guys. So for those of you that are new, uh, we currently do two services. Uh, Not necessarily because we needed two services for this size of a room. We did two services because one of our services at the time was super packed out. People were like sitting on top of each other in the balcony. It was a bad situation, especially given that COVID is a thing. Just wasn't a good situation altogether. Um, And so we expanded to two services, even though we knew that that might mean there might be a week where people are out of town and it feels a little bit empty in the room. So just hang with me. I know I can't see your smiles, but feel free to smile a little bit extra and we'll just roll with it this morning. Super glad you guys are here. Like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7 for the bulk of our time this morning. Uh, If you are new, Just for you to know, we have been, as a church, working through the book of Matthew together, just sort of unpacking it line by line, week by week, sort of understanding uh, who Jesus is and what he came to set into motion, and specifically, what was Jesus' ministry all about? What was his teaching all about? What were the things that he wanted from our lives? That really is what we've been covering. And and specifically here lately, for the past probably several months, we've been in chapters 5 through 7, which is where Jesus really focuses a lot on the sort of outward interpersonal aspects of our lives. So he, he talks a lot about our interactions with other people, sort of those horizontal relationships in our lives. He has talked about things like honesty in our dealings with other people, Things like uh, anger and resentment and bitterness towards other people and how we deal with that. He's talked about how we relate to those in our lives that are opposed to us for whatever reason that might be. He's talked about how we approach things like sex and sexual expression with other people and, and all sorts of other things. But he's really been focusing on all these sort of horizontal, interpersonal aspects of our lives. That's been his focus is how we treat other people. But in today's passage and what we're going to cover this morning, Jesus is going to kind of pivot from that a little bit, and he's going to start to talk primarily about the vertical relationship between us and God himself. Specifically, he's going to talk about how we communicate within that relationship. Today, Jesus' big idea, the topic that he's going to discuss in detail, is the topic of prayer. Now, Talking about prayer in a room full of followers of Jesus is an interesting thing to do. So I I won't do this, but my guess is that if I were to go around the room today and I were to say, all right, I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you believe that we should pray as followers of Jesus? If I asked that question, my guess is that most every hand in the room would go up, right? We all believe that we should pray as followers of Jesus, And if I were to ask a second question and say, all right, how many of you in the room who are followers of Jesus believe that we should pray often or frequently in our lives as followers of Jesus? My guess is that just about every every hand in the room would stay up at that question. And yet at the same time, I, I think a lot of us really struggle to pray. If I were to go around the room a third time and just say, okay, that given, how many of us feel like we are excelling greatly in prayer in our personal lives? My guess is that at least a lot of hands would go down at that question. So there's something going on there, right? Like there's a disconnect between what we know to be true, what we know to be something that we should practice, and what we're actually doing on a regular basis, at least for a lot of us. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of us. And and I think if you take it a step further, what's really interesting to me is that prayer itself is not really a complicated idea. Right? I mean, we just heard it in the passage that Eric just read. Jesus says a lot of prayer is just simply asking. It's, it's just asking God for things. That's what we're talking about. 
So, so maybe in another spiritual discipline, another arena of our life, something like Bible reading, maybe there are intellectual reasons that we don't regularly read our Bible. So we, we don't understand what it is that we're reading or, or, or we don't understand how to interpret it or apply it. There might be an intellectual disconnect there. But with prayer, there's not really that same disconnect, right? I mean, we all understand what prayer is. We understand that it's going before God and and asking him to do something or accomplish something or speak something or help with something. That in itself is a very simple idea. So here's my point. We, We all know that we should pray. We all know that we should pray often. We all on some level understand the concept of prayer and how it works, And yet, so many of us struggle so much with prayer. So many followers of Jesus, including myself for much of my life, just feel this colossal sense of failure when it comes to how often we pray and how much we enjoy praying. So I think the question we've got to answer is, why do we struggle so much with this? Why do so many followers of Jesus struggle to live out the type of relationship with God through prayer that we know is possible, that we know is right? Why do we struggle so much with it? I think a lot of it actually comes down to a few hang-ups that many of us have with prayer. A few difficulties, frustrations, whatever you want to call them. But, but this morning, what I want to do is I want us to work through this passage in Matthew chapter 7. But I want to try to frame it up in terms of three hang-ups that we have with prayer. And then I want us to talk about how Jesus' teaching on prayer in this passage actually help us respond to and answer some of these frustrations that we have. So take the truth of the Scriptures and, and try to apply them to these issues that we have with prayer. And my goal is that through all of that, I would sort of be able to turn us all loose in regards to our relationship with God via prayer. Does that sound good to you guys? I hope that sounds good because I don't have anything else planned. So I think that's what we're going to do. But I just figured I'd ask just to be polite. So here's what we're going to do. Talk through the hang-ups with prayer. Let's talk about the first one. What is the first hang-up that a lot of us have with prayer? Phrased as a question, I think we might put it something like this. Does prayer actually work? Does prayer actually work? Now, Before some of you just inherently answer, yes, of course prayer works, I want you to actually think about it. Because I think the first difficulty that a lot of us have is this nagging thought in the back of our mind that prayer doesn't actually accomplish anything when we do it. That that it's not effective, in other words. At least for a lot of people I personally know, there is this fear in them that maybe, just maybe, when we pray, our words are just evaporating into thin air and not accomplishing much of anything. Have any of you ever felt some version of that in regards to prayer? I won't make you raise your hands, but I see some nods. I would imagine a lot of us have felt some version of that. Or maybe this helps. Maybe for you, this hang-up shows up more as the slightly more spiritual and theological version of this hang-up, which sounds something like this. Isn't God going to do what God is going to do whether or not I pray? Has anybody ever felt that one at times? Like, when I pray, does God actually do anything that he wasn't going to do anyway before I prayed about it? That's the question. That's the hang-up in some version or another that so many of us have, I think. Well, here, at least according to Jesus, is the answer to that hang-up. Verses 7 and 8. Take a look with me in our passage. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. To the one who knocks, it will be open. That, to me, sounds like a yes to our question. Does prayer actually work? It seems like Jesus is saying, yes, prayer does actually work in tangible, measurable sorts of ways. It it seems like Jesus is saying that the Father does indeed respond to our prayer, sometimes in very noticeable, very obvious sorts of ways. So Jesus is saying here that we should ask, we should seek, and we should knock. Why should we do those things? Because the one who asks receives The one who seeks finds, and the the one who knocks has the door opened to them. 
In other words, people who do these things, people who seek God out in regards to prayer in these ways, they experience tangible results of those things in response to asking those things. If you just do your best to take Jesus' words exactly at face value in Matthew 7, isn't that what they seem to be saying? That God responds to his people praying. I don't know how else to read what Jesus is saying. But at the same time, at sort of an experiential level, let's also be honest about this. How many of us read those words from Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, and just felt internally in our spirit when we read them, yeah, that sounds nice, but that's just not how it usually works. Like that, that sounds to me like that's the optimal experience with prayer, but I don't know that I get to operate regularly in the optimal experience with prayer. Most of us, at least people that I've met, just seem to pray and then sit back and wonder if it ever had any real results at all. And because of that, many of us struggle to pray with any real expectation that something will come of it as a result. And if that wasn't bad enough, I think at times certain types of theology in the church can actually reinforce this difficulty that we have with prayer. I think that certain types of theology can actually make this frustration worse. So I'll never forget listening to a sermon from a relatively well-known pastor in the States a few years ago. And I remember hearing him say this line in his very preachery voice, which I don't have, so I won't try to imitate it for you. But he said in his very preachery voice, he said, God wouldn't be God if he changed what he did based on what we ask him to do. Prayer, to this pastor, he went on to say, was really more about the exercise of praying itself than it was about seeing results from what we pray. Now, I think I'm tracking with some of what he meant there. Like, certainly we shouldn't think of God as some sort of genie in a bottle who, who waits on us and grants our every wish whenever we ask for it. That, to be sure, is not who God is. And also, to be sure, there, there is plenty that is gained from us as followers of Jesus persisting in prayer and continuing to pray even when we don't see tangible results of it. I'm all for that. I get that. But at the same time, does that mean that God never responds directly to our prayer? Does that mean that we shouldn't ever pray expectantly and anticipate results in response to what we ask. Does, does that mean that prayer is just sort of meant to be this sort of non-consequential exercise that we participate in as followers of Jesus? Well, I would say that understanding of God and of prayer certainly doesn't jive with a lot of the stories that we read about in the scriptures as a whole. So I, I think about Moses in Exodus chapter 32, and in the story, God has about had it with the Israelites. I mean, they are whining to him, they're complaining to him, they're accusing him of things that he did not do, and God says to Moses, hey, I'm about ready to be done with the Israelites. I'm just going to pick a different group of people to accomplish my purposes through because I've had it with these people. And it says that Moses goes to God and pleads with God not to do that, and then it tells us in Exodus 32 that God God, quote, relented from what he was going to do and continued working through the Israelites instead. In other words, God changed what he was going to do in response to Moses' prayer. Think about another passage in the book of 2 Kings where Isaiah, who's a prophet of the Lord, comes to a guy named Hezekiah, and he says, Hezekiah, you're going to die soon. God is not going to heal you. You're going to pass away. You need to get your affairs in order. This is what's going to happen. And it says in response to that from Isaiah, Hezekiah just goes before the Lord. He falls on his face, and he cries out to God to heal him. And then it says that God, before Isaiah even leaves the temple's courts, God speaks to Isaiah and says, hey, I need you to turn back around and go tell Hezekiah that I've heard his prayer. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to extend his life by 15 years. In other words, God changes what he was going to do in accordance with a prayer from Hezekiah. I think of that relatively well-known passage in the book of 2 Chronicles, especially this time of year, where God says, if my people pray and humble themselves and seek my face, I will turn from heaven and heal their land. Now, 
Just real quickly, because that verse has been making the rounds lately online, I need to say that verse is not about America. Okay, I know there's like lots of memes online with the American flag waving in the background, that verse in the foreground. I I understand why we want it to be about America. That was not a promise made to America. It was a promise made to ancient Israel. So I need to clarify that first. But that being said, the logic still stands, right? God says to the nation of Israel, if my people pray, if my people seek my face, if my people turn from their sin and seek out me and request it of me, I will turn from heaven and I I will heal their land. If they don't do those things, the implication is that I will not turn and heal their land. God has this mindset in him where he will often change what he is going to do based on his people praying. I think of an example in the New Testament where the disciples at one point, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are are having trouble casting out a particular demon from a particular person, you know, just your normal Tuesday afternoon type of problem that we all struggle with. So they're trying to cast out this demon from this particular person. They can't do it. They, they don't succeed in doing it, and then they go talk to Jesus about it, and they say, Jesus, we couldn't cast out the demon, and Jesus responds very matter-of-factly, and he says, oh, this, time, this kind can only come out through prayer, meaning if you would have prayed, the demon would have come out, because you didn't pray, the demon didn't come out. That simple. God does certain things in re- direct response to his people praying and asking him to do it. Just at a personal level, I, I think of the times in my life where I've prayed and sought out God about something happening in my life or the life of someone else, and God has directly, specifically answered those prayers. Not every time, not in every instance, to be sure, but often he has. And there are plenty more examples where all of those come from. I mean, we could walk through the scriptures, Old Testament to New, and I could show you story after story after story of God responding specifically and directly to his people asking him to do things. We could go around this room and and people in this room could tell stories about times that God has responded in specific sorts of ways to things that they have asked of him. But here's my point. God often acts and moves and makes things happen in direct response to his people praying. There's just no way around that from the scriptures. There's no way around that. God does things in the world. Evidently, he even does some things that he wouldn't have done otherwise in direct response to his people praying and asking him to move. Now, some of you, depending on your church background, your theological upbringing, Some of you might say in response to that, well, isn't that a low view of God and God's sovereignty to think of God in that way? And I would say no. It's a high view of God's relationship with his people. It's a high view of God's compassion. It's a high view of God's responsiveness to his people. God responding to his people praying does not somehow make him less God as a result. It it makes him a good compassionate, relational God. And just in case you're still in doubt about this whole idea of God responding in specific direct ways to his people praying, let me just show you a quote. This is straight from the mouth of a guy named Charles Spurgeon. If you're unfamiliar with Spurgeon, he is by all accounts a pastor and a theologian from history who has a very high view of God's sovereignty. I mean, that's how he thinks about God as high degree of sovereignty. Here's what Charles Spurgeon once said about prayer. He said, prayer bends the omnipotence, in other words, the all-powerful nature of God, of heaven, to your desire. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Now, that's a big statement, is it not? And maybe you even hear that and you go, well, wouldn't it be easy for people to misinterpret that? Yes, absolutely. It would be easy for people to misinterpret a lot of things. But what Charles Spurgeon is saying, what Jesus is saying, and what I'm saying to you today is that God does specific and substantial things simply because his people asked him to do it. Sometimes he does things that he wouldn't have done otherwise. And listen, I don't unpack any of what we just said simply because I have like a theological bone to pick with people or something. Those of you that know me best know that most theological debates make my eyes want to roll back in my head. So that's not my goal whatsoever. 
But I I bring it up simply because I think one of the primary reasons that many of us do not pray and don't pray regularly is because we functionally believe that our prayers don't make much of a difference. And nothing could be further from the biblical reality about prayer. Nothing could be further from what the Bible teaches us prayer is about. Now, if you're listening to this and you're more of an analytical person, in the room. That would apply to me. Sometimes I think too much for my own good, if you guys can identify with any of that. If you're more of an analytical person in the room, maybe you hear all of this and it gets you thinking, okay, well, well wait though, because what does that mean? Does that, does that mean that if I ended up not praying for something and God ended up not doing it in response, does that mean that thing wasn't his will to do in the first place? Or does that mean that if God wanted to do something in response to me praying about it and I forgot to pray about it, does he like coerce me into praying about it? Does he cause somebody else to pray about it so that he can do it? If, if I was supposed to pray for for something, for God to do it, does that mean that if I forget, I like throw off the space-time continuum of the universe somehow and everything is now off because I forgot to pray? Like, what does all of this mean? All sorts of questions that arise out of this understanding of prayer. I get that. And I'll be honest with you guys, I have zero answers to those types of questions. I, I don't know that the Bible gives us those types of answers, but I'll tell you this, at some point, getting tied up in all of that theological minutia about God's will and God's prayer, while that can be helpful, getting tied up in all of that is actually keeping us from one very simple task, and that's praying. Asking God to move in specific, life-changing, world-altering sorts of ways. So do you know what might be a better use of our time than getting wrapped up in all the technical aspects of God's will in the world? to fall on our face and beg God to move. In our life, in the lives of others, in in the lives of everyone in our world, what if we were to spend all that time that we get wrapped up in all those little details and devote that time to seeking out the face of God through prayer? Because the one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks has the door opened to them. So pray. That's the goal. That's Jesus' point. Pray because prayer works. But that does move us into what I think is the second hang-up that a lot of people have about prayer. Certainly related to the first one that we just covered, but it's a little bit different. We might phrase it like this. Hang-up number two is, what about unanswered prayer? What about unanswered prayer? So this, I think, is the problem that we have next. We read passages like Matthew chapter 7, and we go, okay, but what about all the times that I've asked and I haven't received? What about all the times that I've sought God out on something and, and he hasn't responded? We hear things like God moves when his people pray, and we immediately draw to mind all the times that it hasn't really played out like that for us. We think of all the times that we've prayed for small things or really big things in our lives and they just haven't panned out at all or at least not anything close to how we expected them to. So what do we do with those scenarios? What do we do with unanswered prayer? What what do we do with all the times in our life where it doesn't exactly play out like Matthew 7 makes it seem like it plays out? So there are actually quite a few answers, practical responses and answers to that question, what about unanswered prayer? There's a book, if you're interested, called God on Mute by a guy named Pete Gregg, where he gives 15 different reasons for unanswered prayer. So some of them are straight out of scripture. Some of them I think are more philosophical and speculative in nature, but I I think they're all helpful to help us sort of frame up how we think about all of this. So I'm not gonna give you all 15 reasons today. That would make for a very long teaching, and I don't think you guys wanna be here that long. So feel free to go out and grab the book if you're interested in reading more on it. I just wanna give you a few of them that I thought were helpful in terms of how how we think about unanswered prayer. So a few different reasons that could be out there for unanswered prayer. First, some prayers aren't answered, he says in the book, because they operate on a faulty understanding of who God is. Some prayers aren't answered because they operate on a faulty understanding of God. 
So to reference what we said just a little bit earlier, some prayer operates on the assumption that God is our personal genie in the bottle. He's a cosmic butler in the sky who just exists to make our life happy and easy and successful and all of that. For, For some of us, I would bet that the only things we regularly pray and ask God for are things like him giving us exactly the job that we want in exactly the city that we want. Things like giving us the salary that we want. Things like giving us the romantic relationship that we we want. And and listen, while sometimes God does answer prayers for those sorts of things, I'm not trying to write those off and call them unimportant, but, but while he does sometimes answer prayers for those sorts of things, God's relationship with us is so much bigger than those things. It's so much bigger than those things. It's so much deeper and more profound than all of that. And so it might be that that by not answering your prayer for specific things in your life, it could be that the Spirit is trying to draw you into a deeper, fuller understanding of who God is. It might be that he's trying to open your eyes to see that he is more than your cosmic butler to grant your every wish that he actually is interested in more aspects of your life than those things on the surface. And listen, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing if he's trying to draw us in in that way. So that's one reason that prayers could go unanswered. Another reason that some prayers aren't answered, he says, is because they contradict other prayers. Because they contradict other prayers. So just to reference one from our society here recently, a couple weeks ago, a lot of followers of Jesus in our country were praying for Trump to win re-election, and a lot of followers of Jesus were praying for Biden to win. By necessity, one of those prayers has to go unanswered, right? To give you another example, imagine that a bride is praying for good weather on her wedding day, but a half mile away, a farmer is praying for rain because his crops are dying. By necessity, one of those prayers has to go unanswered. And so that, that's another reason for unanswered prayer. It may be that, that our prayer contradicts another prayer. We're not thinking about it from all those different vantage points. A third one I'll give you, and then we'll move on. Other prayers go unanswered because we live in a fallen world that God has not made whole yet. Because we live in a fallen world. I think of friends of mine who have prayed for a sick friend or a sick relative and then had to watch as that person's health deteriorated before their eyes. I think of other friends of mine that have prayed to get pregnant with a child and have experienced disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered simply because we live in a fallen world that God has not made new. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are sometimes involved in giving and getting glimpses of the new creation in the here and now. That's a big part of what it means to follow Jesus and and be an ambassador for his kingdom. But at the same time, we are not living in the new heavens and the new earth right now. We are still living in a world that, according to Romans chapter 8, is subjected to bondage and decay. Jesus tells us at one point, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise from Jesus. You will have trouble. The world is not as it should be yet. One day it will be, but it's not that way yet. Not everything in our world is as it should be, which means, unfortunately, not every prayer for God's will to be done in specific situations get answered because we live in a fallen world. So there are just three. Those are just three potential reasons for unanswered prayer. And again, there are plenty more reasons where those come from. If you want to read more on it, feel free to grab that book, read through it, learn from it, all of that. But I do have to say this before we move on. At the end of the day, I don't actually think that what we need most is a list of logical reasons for unanswered prayer. I don't actually think that fixes much of anything. Let me try to explain why I say that. If I were to sit down with my four-year-old named Wit 
and I were to just explain to him all the logical reasons that, that I, as his father, don't always give him everything that he wants in the world, my guess is that those logical reasons, as well thought out as they might be, would not be all that emotionally satisfying to him, right? So if I sat down with Wit, for instance, and told him all the logical reasons that I cannot give him popsicles for dinner every night, which is a frequent request at the Bateman house, if I were to explain to him 10 logical reasons that he cannot have popsicles for dinner, do you know what I bet his response would be after hearing them? Thanks, Dad. Also, I would still love popsicles for dinner. I would bet that it wouldn't be all that emotionally satisfying to him to know all the behind-the-scenes reasons why that request of his is going unanswered. And similarly, I, I would bet that if it were possible for God himself to sit down with many of us over coffee and explain to us every logical reason that he doesn't always answer our prayer every time we ask, my guess is that many of us would respond by going, okay, thanks for that, and also I still really wish you would have answered that prayer. I still really wish that you would have given me that thing that I asked for because it was so crucial in that moment for me to ask for it. So I think more than a list of logical reasons for unanswered prayer, I think what we actually need is an answer to this last question, this last hang-up. I think what we need is an answer to this question. Can God be trusted when he doesn't answer? Can God be trusted when he doesn't answer? That right there, I think, is the hang-up behind and underneath all the other hang-ups that we have with prayer. When I pray and when God doesn't answer, can he be trusted in his perceived silence? That's the question we're all asking, right? Can I trust that when I pray and when God doesn't answer, that he still cares about me? Can I trust that sentiment. So similarly, what wit my son needs more than a list of, of logical reasons that I don't give him everything he wants, it, more than that, what he needs is this. He needs a relationship with a father who can be trusted even when that father doesn't give him everything he asks for. He needs an understanding of the relationship between me and him that can sustain him through the inevitable disappointments and confusion and frustrations that will come when that happens, when I don't give him exactly what he wants. And in the same way, what you and I need, more than a list of reasons for our unanswered prayer in our life, is a relationship with the Father that can be trusted even when the Father doesn't give us what we want. And that is precisely where Jesus lands things in this passage. Take a look with me at verses 9 and 10 from Matthew chapter 7. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a servant? So Jesus looks out. At this point in his teaching, Jesus looks out across the countryside where he's been giving this teaching all about life and what life looks like as a follower of Jesus. And he says to the crowds of people listening to him talk, he says, okay, which one of you, if your son asked you for bread, would give him a stone instead? Which one of you, if, if your son asked you for a fish to eat, would give him a snake in return? And the obvious answer from the crowd is nobody. Nobody would respond that way. No, none of us would do that. No father, no mother would do something like that in response. Even the worst of earthly parents know how to give their kids something to eat. That's a skill they're familiar with, which sets up Jesus' simple yet profound response in verse 11. He says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Every one of us, even the worst of us, know how to give good things to those who ask. All of us know how to do that. And if that's true, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to do that for us? How much more can he be trusted to do precisely that for us? And how much more does he want to do that for us? 
That right there is where prayer has to start. That's the basis for the entire practice of prayer is understanding you have a father who always cares for his kids. With an understanding of a father who can be trusted even when he doesn't do precisely what we asked him to do. The relationship with a father that can endure the ups and the downs of, that a lifestyle of prayer will inevitably produce at times. When we don't understand why or why not, that is precisely when we lean back into the arms of a father who does. And as we develop the ability to do exactly that, we will continue to pray even when we don't see immediate results. We'll persist in praying even when it seems like those prayers sometimes go unanswered. Because we trust the character of the Father, we will continue to ask. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but did you know there was a time when even Jesus' prayer went unanswered? As Jesus hung from the cross in his final hour, he cried out to God the words of Psalm 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to imagine being Jesus in that moment for a second. Perfect, constant intimacy with the Father at all times. Perfect, constant relationship with God at all times. And, and yet in that moment on the cross, as Jesus experienced the, the most indescribable sort of pain that we can imagine, his question to God was, why? Why is this happening and why are you allowing it to happen, God? God's response to that question was silence. The most dire moment of Jesus' life, his prayer went completely unanswered. So listen, more than anything, before we move on to the rest of this, uh, understand that if anybody knows what it feels like to cry out in the depths of desperation and not hear anything in return, if anybody knows how that feels, it's Jesus. He knows how you feel. He gets it. He's been there. But the reason that there was no answer when Jesus asked that question, the reason there was no answer to Jesus' own prayer in that moment is because Jesus knew precisely why he was being forsaken. He was being forsaken so that you and I could know that we never have to be. He was being forgotten so that you and I could be remembered by God the Father. His prayer went unanswered so that you and I can know God can be trusted even when our prayers go unanswered too. It was precisely because of Jesus' unanswered prayer that you and I became sons and daughters of God through what he accomplished on the cross. It was in that moment that God became, for anyone who would believe, a trustworthy father. And when you understand that, you, you begin to learn how to trust even when you feel unheard too. You will continue to ask even when you don't get the results that you wanted because you have a relationship with a father that can sustain those sorts of experiences. One reason I know that it works this way is, again, because of my relationship with my son. I have to say no plenty of times to wit. Like a lot. I have to say no to him a lot. Like when he, wants to, when he wants the third straight cup of sugary lemonade in a row over the course of five minutes, I have to say no to him in those moments. When I have to tell him that no, I can't come into his room for the fourth time in the middle of the night to snuggle with him because he can't go to sleep, I have to say no in those moments, even though admittedly that is the hardest one to say no to I have to say no because he won't, he won't learn to sleep on his own. I, I have to say no to my son at least as often as I say yes, if not more, right? Anybody who has a young child is familiar with that concept. But at the same time, do you know what me saying no has never kept wit from doing? Asking. Wit has never thought to himself, you know what? If my dad says no to me one more time, I'm never going to ask for anything from him ever again. Never had that response. In fact, I'm sort of convinced that sometimes me saying no makes him ask more 
than he would have otherwise, right? That's sort of how parenting works in a lot of ways. But he's never had that response. And do you know why Wit continues to ask me, even when I say no? Because he trusts the nature of his relationship with me. He cannot perceive of a universe in which his dad doesn't eventually say yes to something. He cannot perceive of a universe in which his dad does not want to give him good things. So in response, what he does is that he asks and he seeks and he knocks constantly because he trusts the nature of that relationship with me. And that is precisely the posture of a follower of Jesus towards prayer. When you see God as a good father, you can't perceive of a world in which he doesn't eventually say yes to something. You can't perceive of a world in which he does not desire to give you good things because that's who he is. He is a good father. And in Jesus, that's who we are as sons and daughters of a good father. Galatians 3, in one of the the most brief but most profound statements ever, says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Tim Keller puts it this way, and I find it so incredibly helpful when he puts it this way. God will either give us what we ask, or he will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. He will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. That's the person we're praying to. The person who will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for otherwise. If, if that is not motivation to start praying and praying regularly in our lives, I don't know what is. We ask because we know to whom we're asking. We seek because we know who we're seeking from. And we knock because we know that on the other side of that door stands God the Father, and he longs to give his kid good things. We know he can be trusted. So that's all I have for you today content-wise. I intentionally kept things brief this morning, as brief as I could for a couple reasons. One, just because I wanted to reiterate how simple prayer is. I didn't want to overcomplicate it by saying a lot of different things. I think sometimes the biggest problem when it comes to prayer is that we make it so much more complicated than God intended it to be. So I I wanted to keep it short for that reason, but I I also wanted to keep it short because I I wanted to actually give us some time to pray together. I I thought it would be kind of silly if we spent all this time talking about prayer and didn't actually pray. That, That felt like a waste of a teaching. And so what I want us to do is just spend some time praying together this morning. So if you will, go ahead and put away whatever stuff you had. Maybe specifically turn your phone on Do Not Disturb and put it away if you're able to. I think that just helps us cut out distractions. The, the band's going to play behind us just to cut out some distractions in the room. We're going to bring the lights down a little bit just to kind of help us focus in on what's right in front of us. But I've got just a couple different things I want us to pray through together in response to everything Jesus just taught us about the Father and about who the Father is and about prayer itself. I've just got a few things I want us to pray through. So go ahead, uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever you need to do to get in that space where you can interact with God himself. And I've just got a couple things I want you to pray through. First, I want us to just spend some time remembering and praying through the character of the Father. Some of us, I think, might have functionally forgotten who the person is that we are praying to so much of the time. So so I want you to take a moment right now just to remember God the Father, to remember that he is gracious and compassionate and responsive and trustworthy, maybe most of all that he is trustworthy. I want you to spend some time verbalizing what it means about who he is and how we relate to him in prayer. So maybe for you, you just need to sit there for the next few moments and you just need to say on repeat, God, you're a good father. You're a good father. God, that's who you are. Maybe you just need to say that over and over again. But however you need to approach it, whatever you need to say, whatever you need to do, just take a second, interact with God as your father. Take time to do that now.
one other thing I just want to add to this as you're continuing to pray. Feel free to continue to pray. But I, I just want to say I, I know a lot of us in the room likely um, part of the reason we struggle so much with prayer and we struggle so much to see God as Father is because we had really bad examples of fathers in our life. Uh, no, no doubt some of us, we, we didn't have a father figure at all. We maybe had a couple people that tried, but it, it just wasn't, wasn't what it needed to be or, or wasn't there at all. Some of us likely had fathers that are so polar opposite of everything God is and everything God stands for that it just, it's done so much damage into how we view ourselves and how we view God. And so this morning what I, I want to do is I just want to pray for healing emotional, psychological, whatever it needs to be. I want to pray for healing for people with that story. I know it's likely so many of us. And, and I want to pray for healing, not just because we need it in that regard, but because we need the Spirit to do a work in us if we're going to ever see God for who He truly is, if we're ever going to be able to interact with Him on that level, we need Him to do a deep work in us. And, and God might want to do it right away this morning. He might want to do it through, through months or years of working through it. I don't know what it needs to be, but this morning I want to pray that we'd at least be willing to start that process. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, if, if even those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father who is in heaven? Some of us are very familiar with the evil part of that sentence. Some of us experienced the evil from fathers that did not represent who God was, and I, I feel like this morning God just wants to say to a lot of us, I'm not like that. That's not who I am. That's not how I designed life to work. And I want to show you that I am something far better. So just take a second, if you will, if that's part of your story, if that's part of the story of someone you know, and I want you to just pray for healing, that God would help us to see differently with new eyes, with new hearts, that he would bring healing. Father, would you bring healing? The second thing I want us to pray through this morning is I want us to just, from that basis of understanding who God is, understanding that he's a good father that desires to give us good things, I want you to just pray through, pick one thing. You, you've got the rest of your day, the rest of your week to pray through all sorts of things. I want you to pick one thing to just pray persistently through. Luke 18 tells us not just to pray, but to persist in prayer, that we would go before God, we would petition the doors of heaven and ask God to move in specific ways. So whether it's something in your life or the life of somebody else, maybe it's something that, that you've been putting off praying for because you don't wanna be disappointed if God doesn't do it. Maybe it's something that you prayed for for a little while and you gave up just because it didn't seem like it was going anywhere. Maybe it's just something that you've never prayed for because you don't think God cares. I want to tell you this morning that he cares. And so God, take whatever that is, the, the God-glorifying desire that you have for your life, for the life of somebody else. Maybe it's somebody that you want to see him heal. Maybe it's a relationship you want to see restored. Maybe it's him providing in a specific way for your life or the life of somebody else. I just want you to pick one thing and just pray persistently through it. I think it was Martin Luther that once said, sometimes praying is a lot less like a one-off experience and it's a lot more like hammering a nail through a piece of wood. It, it doesn't happen instantly. Sometimes you just got to pray and pray and pray and seek and seek and seek. And so we just spend a few moments doing that. Pick one thing, pray through it. Persist in praying for God to move in some specific way. You can do that now.
Father, whatever it is, whatever we're asking you, whatever we're pleading with you about, God, I know there are dozens of prayers throughout this room, things that maybe we've given up on, things that maybe we think you don't care about. God, I pray this morning you would hear our prayers. You tell us in the book of Isaiah, all throughout the scriptures, that as we are praying, you hear. As we are asking you, you respond. And so would you respond? Whatever that looks like, it may not look exactly like we imagined it. It may not be on the timetable we expected or wanted. But God, you always hear. You're always listening. God, would you help us to persist and not lose heart in prayer? God, this morning, would you help us all to rest in who you are, our Father, a Father who desires to give us good things. Would you help us to see you in that way through every single arena of our life? God, that's our prayer. That's what we want. Maybe just right now in your own way, in your own words, if, maybe if you've realized in your own life that you tend to see God as, as this mechanical relationship, but you want to see him as Father, would you just say right now in your own words, just say, I'm ready. I'm ready, Father. God, we ask you to work. We ask you to move. Even now as we sing and celebrate and respond to who you are, we ask all these things in your name.